0: to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, this is this, they don't get too much bigger than this for me, from one of the greatest bands of all time, Steve Von Till, from the band Neurosis, also of his own incredible solo work and uh, in, including, uh, under the name Harvestman, he's got a brand new fantastic record called No Wilderness Deep Enough. He also has a brand new book out more on that in one second. This is a big one for me. I, I this guy is, uh, one of the best voices in all of music. I love his voice so much. <laughs> anyway, more on that in one second, but first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address turned out a punk podcast at gmail.com that is run by my brother and show producer and guest Booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at left 4 damien If you're looking to support the show, the best way to support the show is just by telling everyone you know about this thing. Let everyone know that we do this, you enjoy it, and uh, that would be great. You can also support this show by uh, subscribing to it and rating it on your platform of choice, or by heading over to patreon.com slash turned out a punk. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. To all you that do, very much appreciate um you doing that. Uh you can also support this podcast by um, you know, just listening each and every week. I really, you know, thanks for checking in. And I promise you we've got we got some uh, we got some big things cooked up, you know. I think <laughs> Tristan taking over this show. That that really uh we we got we're cooking with gas right now. Um anyway. Uh, and, uh, speaking of support, this show would not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans who came aboard a few years ago and said, Damien, do what you do. Just, just don't do it out of your own pocket. And they believed in this thing. And I really thank them for doing that because, you know, we're not the biggest podcast in the world and there's definitely other podcasts that they could go out there and and support and that would, you know, but they, they chose this one. So I, I really thank them for doing that. And, uh, you know, hopefully we get those hustle vans back. But until that, they just launched this brand new Channel 66. Uh, more information coming on that very soon. Also, Fucked Up, my band, the band I play in. Speaking of Neurosis and, and Steve being on the show today is very apropos. Not playing like this at all until I just got on there and realized uh, that we have a new record dropping uh, right now as I speak. Uh, fucked Up has been working on this song called Year of the Horse. As part of our Zodiac series for like the last Five years um, And that's not an exaggeration They started working on it, Jonah and Mike uh, Way back when we were doing stuff for Glass Boys uh, They are uh, You know, we we're finally finished it It's finally come out uh, We worked hard on it, this is chapter one There's going to be some more chapters coming It's a very, very long song So if you are like Fat Mike and don't like Fucked Up because of the song length You're, you're really probably going to hate this one uh, but there's some uh, there's some stuff on it I'm really proud of. I- I'm really excited for you to hear it, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. It's on Bandcamp right now. We're going to have a larger, wider release eventually on vinyl and stuff like that. But uh, if you want to check it out now, please uh, do so. Also, speaking of checking out stuff, head over to floodmagazine.com and check out the stuff that's been going on with punk as fuck, punk AF, uh, punk... Uh, punk as fuck, I think uh, Punk AF, whichever you want to check It's on YouTube too And it's a series of videos that I shot when I was in Los Angeles a few years ago That has finally seen the light of day There's some really funny stuff there The latest one, I'm, I'm hanging out with Jay Howell And we're just talking about punk rock That's It's basically like what we do here on this podcast But much more in video form Well, in video form uh, you know, And it, it's a lot more uh, you know, casual It's fun, check it out I took Steve Albini and Don Bowles to Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. That wasn't casual. That was very intense. <laughs> Watch that video. Oh, okay. I think that, is that it? There's stuff I got to get to? I'm just racking my brain right now thinking about things. Uh, I think that's it. All right, on to today's show. Today on the show, Steve Von Till from Neurosis. Uh, this band if you are not familiar with Neurosis, they are one of the most consistent bands ever. They've never they've never put out a bad record. And that goes for all the side projects, too. They are a band that has had this sort of almost singular vision, but the approach has been expansive. I'm a very, very much a punk rock, hardcore, sonic traditionalist in a lot of ways. They were the band that opened my my mind to the sort of the expanse that you could do with with punk and hardcore uh, every record they put out is just another chapter in this incredible legacy they are the band they are the band to many many people not just myself uh, but especially to myself and i think that's you know illustrated by what comes out of fucked up in a lot of ways they've got this one record called Uh, the word is law. And as you'll hear on this, (laughs) on this conversation, they do not like that record, but that is one of my favorite records of all time. And that's Steve's first record with the band, Uh, Steve. Once again, as it, it goes to the solo record too, he's put out a brand new, incredible solo album called no wilderness deep enough. And it also has a book of poetry with it called harvestman 23 untitled poems and Collected Lyrics, they're both available now uh, from Narot Records, which is their own label, which has been going on forever. Uh, it, it, once again, it's just an incredible catalog. They just consistently put out great bands, consistently put out great music themselves, and this is no exception. Really check this record out. Everything they do just, you know, they put so much work into it. There's so much craft in it. It really feels uh, that's why they're the band's band, you know. <laughs> that's why they're just that band. Uh, this is a fun conversation. You really get uh, a look in the beginnings of, of you know, well, Steve's music journey, but also when he goes into Neurosis and kind of how that band changes a little bit, which is also on that Word Is Law record, which they do not like. Uh, I, I think all their albums are amazing. Check them all out. They're all available through Relapse, I believe, now, uh, a lot of them. And Neurot Records, they put out a lot on their own now. And, uh, yeah, they are... They're that band I'm gushing because, uh, there's not too many bands that (laughs) I think had a bigger impact on me. So anyway, I'm not going to gush or ramble on anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Steve Von Till on turned out a punk. Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Damien.
0: Well, as I was just telling you off air, um, you know, your band is one of the most influential bands on a lot of bands, but certainly my band. And so it's an honor to have you here and to get to really interrogate you about your career.
1: Well, thanks for the kind words,
0: man. Well, this has got to start off the way they all start off, which is, Steve, how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre?
1: I don't know if I remember the exact specific... uh moment but i remember certain things i remember i was born in 1969 so um and i lived in a suburban part of san jose south of san francisco and berkeley but it was far enough away that if you weren't old enough and you didn't have people already into it it might it might have well this might as well have been a world way you know so probably the first time I mean, there was certain stuff that was just kind of in the environment as punk rock had become, had had leaked into mainstream a little bit. Like there was no way you were going to not know about Devo and Blondie um, or the Ramones. You know, they, they were just kind of in the atmosphere in general and pop culture. You know, yeah, totally. but but the first time I think I ever really sat down with a punk record was I. I had gotten back together with a childhood friend. We we were both in junior high and he busted out a copy of X Los Angeles on cassette and uh, was really excited about that. And we sat there and we jammed that one. And I, I was pretty much just into hard rock and, and metal at that point. And I was, I was, uh, again, I was aware of some things in the atmosphere, but just never really kind of did a deep dive. And, and that was pretty influential hearing that I still didn't, buy in a hundred percent you know what that wasn't like my eureka moment where i dropped everything and became a punk but that was probably the first like full album listen you know where i soaked one in and uh other things i think at that time like um there was a new wave theater on night flight Mm -hmm. which was on television which which had all kinds of avant-garde films and some strange stuff to warp young kids' minds who had (laughs) nothing better to do on Friday night than watch TV. And I remember seeing all kinds of great bands on there that definitely uh, piqued my interest, like 45 Grave and Circle Jerks and Angry Samoans. Um, Same with like Saturday Night Live. I was an avid Saturday Night Live watcher, so certain things like patty smith or elvis costello or the clash um, leaked on there <clears throat> mm-hmm. and uh you know as, as much as we hate to say it because it's not cool anymore but i mean that early wave of mtv when it was brand new and they didn't know what they were doing <laughs> yeah um <clears throat> i remember going to my grandparents house they lived a block over and they had cable and so I'd watch MTV over there when I was visiting. And I remember seeing Kraut, a Kraut video.
0: Whoa.
1: That uh, All Twisted. Yeah. I think it was the song. And it, that, for some reason, that was played on MTV quite a lot.
0: I guess they only had so many videos at that point, right? So it's like if you submitted something and you were on a major label, there's a good chance they would just get to it.
1: Exactly. And I, shortly after that it was like Suicidal's uh, institutionalized video, oh, you know, and, yeah. and and that ends like, that was like probably like 82 or something. So, um, I think all those things kind of like planted the seeds, you know, for, uh, for my eventual becoming a punk, you know, I think, uh, I, I was still dedicated to my metal, especially as the new wave of heavy metal was coming in and the hard rock. It wasn't really till I got into high school in 83 where I, uh, there was only a few of us freaks and, and a couple of us were hardcore underground metalheads and a couple of us were punks and a couple goths thrown in and we just kind of cross-pollinated all our albums, you know.
0: It's also so interesting given the music that you make, you know, later in your career that that's like that kind of cross-pollination is happening because, you know, obviously neurosis is like a lot more than those three elements, but those three things are kind of like there. Yeah, that that's DNA for sure. <laughs> So, uh, what were where were you getting into like the metal and hard rock stuff? Because like you know, I, I can't imagine they were being played on the radio.
1: Not the metal stuff. Some of the metal might have been the same kind of trip. Like I remember seeing a Motorhead video mm-hmm. on uh, that same time. But I, I spent um, my parents would take me to record stores, and I got into hard rock pretty early. Like I was in third and fourth grade, spending my own money on ACDC and Kiss and Ted Nugent and And uh, you know, whatever I could find, deep purple, Jimi Hendrix. So I always gravitated towards like whatever the most intense thing I could find was. Yeah. And you know, being a young boy, that of course, you know, as soon as you see that first Iron Maiden record cover, you're like, What is that? I have to have it, you know, uh demon in a leather jacket, that's mine. (laughs) And um, so really was trips to Tower Records with probably with my mom. You know, she took me to see Kiss in 79 because I was totally into it. Me and a couple other neighborhood boys.
0: Was that your first show?
1: Yeah, Kiss was my first concert. Yeah.
0: It's amazing how many people that's brought into music. You know, obviously, you know, the Melvins, well, you you'd personally know the Melvins, but did those famous, you know, tribute records. But it's just so many people that have been on the show. It's just like that band was like, it's almost like fantasy rock for teenage boys i said i guess for the most part but like teenage kids yeah
1: it's hard to justify later in life you know but but (laughs) uh, what can you say it got us all air guitaring, man and that was that was half the way there and you know
0: (laughs) yeah yeah well it's it's like how could you you know as a kid you know on comic books and dungeons and dragons and all this kind of stuff to have like a band that's essentially just like oh let's just make ourselves into superheroes it's like the ultimate kind of crass marketing thing for a band to do absolutely absolutely so where were there any sort of underground like metal bands in San Jose that you were aware of or like was there any stuff like happening locally
1: you know I didn't really discover the underground until also about at least not the local one I mean I knew about just from digging in the in the metal uh bins and buying the like whatever the metal magazines were and mm-hmm. i got into all that early uh, new wave of british heavy metal um i got into motorhead which i could actually say is probably the first punk band i was into because I, I i i still swear that first record is more punk than than metal by current standards anyway
0: absolutely and let me also would say in interviews right he would say like we're a punk band early on
1: yeah and i you know there's the I wasn't there, but there's the mythology that, you know, both punks and metalheads showed up to their early shows because there was no fo- photographs of them. And they went, wait, <laughs> there's rockers here. Wait, there's punkers here. What's going on? Yeah. You know? um, and, uh, and even the fact that he was from Hawkwind, you mm-hmm. know, I, um, I know Hawkwind didn't have a, you talk to some folks in the British scene and they kind of r- dismissed them as we would the grateful dead. Mm-hmm. for being a bunch of hippies but but i think they inspired a lot of punks, oh yeah know, just by their attitude over there and you know i think johnny rotten has has said that he they were a big influence on him and you can hear it you know
0: yeah definitely well it's it's that like uh, like that pink fairies like Hawkwind, like there's that wave of kind of like it's yeah it's, it's obviously hippie but they're they're like squatting places and they're like it's like a punk hippie totally yeah
1: way way yeah way more gnarly
0: yeah yeah so where did you kind of go once you got into high school and you kind of were meeting these other kids like where what were some of the other first sort of bands you started getting into my well
1: trying to bridge that gap between you know the metal and the punk mm-hmm. really my my gateway drug where i was like sign me up i'm in 100% was discharge oh yeah as soon as i heard that you could have a wall of huge guitars um uh with that the punk rock haiku lyrics, you know, you got four to six lines tops. Yeah. Uh um uh, with that album art and just the black and white aesthetic, I I was completely captivated. And um it just so happened that that was kind of the stuff that was easiest to find too. I I don't know what Clay Records was doing, but they had great distribution. They they were in you know, by that, by high school, you know, we had some friends that could drive and we could go to different record stores. And And I went to high school actually across town, which was probably a huge move for me discovering punk because being in the East foothills where I was, we, there, we weren't in a part of town that was, um, you know, we were kind of above uh, the East side of town, which is typical of most East sides of town. There was more of a hip hop and soul and oldies culture there than there was. Um, what was happening on the other side of the the south bay which was this you know the skate and the skate punk stuff
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and so really my high school was across town over there and that's where i was meeting these kids who'd already been uh you know into some of the local skate punk bands i don't think san jose had uh the faction and Ribsy.
0: um i think the drab too right from there like uh yep I, yep Um, there's that, there's a, I think it's called the, came from South Bay comp, like with sticky, uh, God, I'm trying to remember some of the other bands on that. Oh, sticky. Yeah. That they, they come in later for me for sure.
1: Yeah. Chris Dodge is is huge and my coming of age, but it was, um, yeah, discharge and GBH and black flag. And, and, um, I think mystic records had a lot of great distribution at that time too. And so I got into, Again, they had that they had the guitars I was looking for with Dr. No and Battalion of Saints.
0: Um, of course, No FX and Aggression. So, like, and what were some of the first, I guess, what was the first sort of punk show you went to? Um, I can't remember uh,
1: exactly, it was either it was either MDC or social unrest or verbal abuse or some combination of those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, you know, the South Bay, we didn't have as many shows as San Francisco and Berkeley and Oakland, but there were definitely renting out some like American Legion halls and uh, we couldn't get into the 21 and over clubs. So we couldn't go to the bar shows, you know, uh, until we got old enough to start our own bands and sneak in the back. But um, but I, I think it was one of, maybe it was even a adrenaline OD coming into town. Cause I can kind of remember the flyer. In fact, I think it was a Chris Dodge flyer, um, <laughs> with, uh, I remember that AOD show, whether that was, I don't know, the second or third show I might've gone to, it was, uh, I wouldn't ring a bell until later, but I think Christ on parade opened it and oh, to, wow. to, to, to know that I'd be in a band with Noah. Yeah, you know many years later is uh pretty cool
0: it's it's also like you know talking about that those bands like the three that you mentioned even there like you know the fact that you've got like social unrest mdc and 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 verbal abuse like they're all still kind of going like and they're still like remnants of that sort of first wave of i guess san francisco hardcore oh so
1: right right yeah it's kind of right before so i guess i yeah you know, it's funny because you look back then and, and being a two year age difference was massive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> between the ages of 15 and 21. But uh, yeah, they, that seemed like definitely the older wave of folks there. What were those um, shows
0: like for those bands at that point? Like, were they, were they violent still, or was it kind of like, had it kind of mellowed out a little bit, you know, in the few years?
1: Um, No, that was violent. Cause that was probably 80, 85. Mm-hmm. Um and we were still a couple years out of uh massive skinhead conflicts. Mm-hmm. Um but it was um pretty violent pits, but um pick each other up kind. <laughs> still, yeah. You know, it, it wasn't uh wasn't wasn't jocks sneaking in and beating people up or or the skinheads coming in yet. You know, it was kind of right, right before that started happening.
0: And were those like all ages shows be big in San Jose? Like, were there a lot of kids kind of still like going out to those types of bands?
1: It seemed like it mm-hmm. to me. I mean, it, you know, I, hundreds, hundreds of kids. Yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, I think we even, we would drive over to Santa Cruz and, and see Blast if oh, we could awesome. get a ride. <laughs> yeah. Um, And uh yeah so that 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 first wave was interesting that was all before i had a driver's license and and got total freedom you know it was before 85 um and then uh then once the driver's license came the scene started changing a little bit too that because i was still into metal so i was i was you know current with all of the the wave of bay area thrash that was that was coming i remember being in a tower records flipping in 83 you know just 13-year-old kid and flipping through the metal records and some guy who to me looked like some really older wise biker guy who's he was probably like 19, but at the <laughs> time, you know, he, he just handed me the kill them all record and said, You need this if you like heavy metal.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it
1: was like a like a, a movie moment. Um and uh so you know, being able to follow that local stuff, Metallica and Exodus and Slayer, whenever they would come up and and, uh, and there was a lot of cross-pollination even between the gigs as DRI was playing the punk shows and the metal shows, um, attitude adjustment, the same thing, this band Sacrilege, uh, from Berkeley, not the one from England, mm-hmm. uh, would play the punk shows and the, and the metal shows. And, and, uh, it was a really cool, I don't know, a, a cool time. Cause you had really eclectic bills still, you know, things hadn't splintered off.
0: Yeah, and I guess verbal abuse eventually crosses over too, right? Like for that second LP.
1: For, for sure. And they they were playing all the time. They were they were at yeah. all the gigs. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's 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 also interesting to like kind of like, you know, obviously there's a huge LA punk explosion, but it feels like by the mid 80s, all that kind of energy is like moved north in California. Like there's like there's just so many, like you're just like blasting Santa Cruz, obviously the huge stuff that's going on in San Francisco, the stuff we talked about in San Jose, like there's just so many scenes kind of like popping up.
1: Yeah, it was pretty, yeah, pretty interesting. I mean, I, I have friends who grew up in the in the LA scene, and um, I guess it became pretty rough mm-hmm. to go to gigs there just because of uh, a lot of the gang shit going on. And, and uh, uh, that was a really violent, really violent scene down there. So uh, I think we had the good fortune in the Bay Area of having
0: um, uh, less of that for sure. So was transgressor your first, actually, when did you start playing music? I
1: played music. Um, I think I got my first guitar when I was nine, but I I didn't really take to it. And, um, it wasn't a cool looking guitar. You know, I wanted a more rock looking guitar and it was more of a, like an old Mose right hollow body with F holes. And I really wish I had that now I'm an idiot, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) I I wanted something pointy. Um, (laughs) So, uh, I started just kind of teaching myself, but I was never super dedicated. Like that was the era where guitar players were trying to figure out how to be Richie Blackmore, or Randy Rhodes, or, and I just didn't have that kind of discipline.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but I, in high school, a, a friend of mine, um, said, Hey, I'm starting a band. You want to be my rhythm guitarist? And he was one of those guys. He was like learning how to play Eddie Van Halen chops and, and stuff and really into uh michael shanker and ufo and i'm like okay you know and so he kind of got me started with a few bar chords and i figured out enough to be able to play those songs you know and and and, uh then to start to be able to put that kill them all record on the turntable and slowly try to figure out how they were doing those mysterious jigga (laughs) jiggas um uh you know, but I never became like into the soloing or any of that kind of uh fretboard gymnastics that just wasn't wasn't my thing. But discovering punk rock was um was everything, you know, like like we don't have to be perfect. We can be sloppy and trashy. The only thing is we have to just mean it. Mm -hmm. and it just has to be self-expression we're doing it for ourselves if anybody else likes it that is what it is you know but um i just wanted to be involved i wanted to do i wanted to do it all i wanted to i wanted to uh, record tapes and play in bands and put on gigs and make flyers and uh um you know and and make fanzine and i I always wanted to be a part of it i wanted to do do it all and that that tribe i stumbled into uh, in that mid '80s DIY punk scene, really made me exactly who I am to this day, and and defined everything I do for the rest of my life.
0: Well, it's amazing how much you guys then go on to define this thing for you know waves of people afterwards. Like once again, myself included. Like it's just almost like this continuum.
1: Yeah. Well, it was it was formative years, and I, I learned a lot of great values from from those people. You know, I mean. Um I just remember spending endless hours flipped through flip died magazine and maximum rock and Roll, trying to learn as much as much as I could about what was going on um in different uh different scenes all over the world i'm and uh, kind of jumping jumping around here but i i, I remember a couple of records that kind of blew my mind and that that this wasn't just a weird. Yeah, you know, first it's like okay, this is a local thing we can call our own. This is our own, like whatever private thing that we have ownership over. That's not this arena rock inflated, you know, rock bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that we can be a part of and that we can we can own. Um, but uh, uh, c- certain things like maximum rock and roll and those uh, that not so quiet on the western front compilation and MDC's peace comp. Mm -hmm. Um, blew my mind like whoa there's bands from all over the world doing this crazy music in their own weird kind of unique way you know in their own languages um was really eye-opening to me and uh and i became an avid tape trader um with people all over the world you know making my list these are the demos i've got what do you have or even albums because you couldn't you couldn't find records back then you could find whatever the local record shops had um but international stuff forget it
0: you know yeah
1: um so if you're looking for some uh, obscure scandinavian hardcore record (laughs) you better (laughs) you better trade trade a tape of a local demo for it you know
0: it's even now, like, it's amazing how much of that stuff still hasn't shown up, right? Like, a lot of these demos, like the Transgressor demo, for instance, it's a, that's something that's still not available on the internet. Thank God. <laughs> um, but you mentioned the Peace Comp and that, uh, I think it's Welcome 1984, is that the first? No, it's I don't, whichever the one that has, not, like, all the international bands on it.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's the Peace Comp. That's the one that MDC put out
0: yeah i think there's also like the, but there is that mrr comp which has like Stalin on it and it has like, not
1: so quiet on the western front i think is what it was yeah, yeah. sorry and that's then they, it. later
0: on they did that
1: welcome to 1984
0: yeah and those those like those compilations like you're saying like it that's where hardcore and punk like that's where it really kind of shows like the power of this thing where it is like you're saying it's a global movement there's bands in brazil there's bands in japan and everyone's trading tapes and everyone's communicating completely divorced from this like international music conglomerate type thing that was everything else in music and still is now everything in music
1: yeah for sure i mean you know the f- first time you hear gizm you know <laughs> and you're like what the hell is going on in japan Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know or uh you know bgk over in europe and and just yeah i mean i i I became obsessed and uh and so yeah so i me and some buddies from high school and we uh wanted to start a band and the first one we started was definitely kind of a, a thrash thrash band that's kind of just the first songs i ever wrote were these kind of thrashy metal things um kind of blurring i don't know whatever i was liking about dri and and uh
0: um
1: i don't know the accused and slayer
0: your font and your logo looks so sick on that tape
1: (laughs) like that would make a sick
0: t-shirt if you did upside down
1: cross t i mean what what more do you want
0: and i like i like the s's dragging way down and the r's dragging way down like it it looks yeah like the, the vibe is there like that looks like an underground metal tape
1: yeah it was uh yeah it was an underground metal tape and I was very <laughs> proud to take it around to the, you know, I remember, um, you know, and re, and recently when I put out my recent solo record and poetry book, I was kind of remembering those same days and thinking, man, you know, we're in a pandemic, I'm going to take these things and walk them to all the, you know, I, I don't live in in a big city, but I can drive an hour to Spokane. And I was just remembering as I was taking these, my records, by hand to the shops, you know, saying, Hey, do you want to carry this? Or, um, I remember being just a shy teenager. Didn't really want to talk to anybody, but you know, I, I was willing to do it for art and for music. And I was going into the head shops that sold the punk rock, you know, hair dye or the skate shops that would let us sell the demo on the counter and, and, uh, the local record shops. And, and it was, you know, it was huge the kind of learning experience of making flyers for shows and putting on backyard gigs and, and uh, uh, calling up promoters of of local venues and trying to get on shows and, and um, just, just diving in.
0: Well, and like you're saying, like, yeah, being part of it, right. Like, like you wanted to be involved in every aspect of it. And that's really where you're doing it when you put out your own tape and you have to actually like (laughs) make it and, and, and sell it or get rid of them somehow.
1: Right. Yeah. And I, I remember that tape trading scene too. There was kind of an interesting, I was tripping on this recently trying to remember some of the names of it, but I don't, I don't have my cassette collection here. It's in my parents' house, but uh, there was a thing with cassette comps mm-hmm. going on about that time of, of where, you know, that there was kind of these uh, certain circles of bands were always on these, it, on these cassette comps, you know, impulse manslaughter and, uh, Oh, yeah, I can't remember the other ones, but but so many of these great cassette comps that people would spend their time like um, uh, curating, you know, and, and putting together out there for the and sell for a couple bucks, you know.
0: Well, you're actually on a comp with uh, a bunch of Canadian bands, like including Missing Link, who I think are a Canadian band that's perennially on tape compilations from the mid 80s. But...
1: Oh, interesting. What was that one called?
0: Uh, it's called, uh, brainwashed into submission. And the reason I like, that's actually how I, fa- how I found out you were in this band transgressor originally is because I was just, you know, researching missing link as one would do for some reason. And, uh, <laughs> I was like, Oh, geez, clicking on all the bands on this tape comp. And I'm like, Oh my God, a neurosis connection. That's so wild. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a copy of that tape, but it's definitely on the want list now. And as with the transgressor demo, like who are some of the bands you guys would play with?
1: Um, man, my memory is so bad. I, I actually been trying to figure that out lately. I think I've forgotten more than most people have gotten to do, but, um,
0: <laughs> well, you have also done a lot. You've played a lot of gigs since then. So it's understandable that you might not remember. These well,
1: I think my mind's just always on the next thing, mm-hmm. you know, the next scheme, the next plan, the next project. And so it's hard for me to be present sometimes. And I think a lot of the times I wasn't present enough to imprint the event into into memory for the long haul but um i I, we played a lot of metal shows i think we played with death angel and um uh, man there was a lot of underground metal bands kind of like the lower tier of the thrash bands Mm -hmm. um but I can't remember. We did, do, we did also uh, play Gilman when Gilman first was opening up, and we're you know just on the mixed bills that were part of that time where, where you could have a, a, a crossover style band with a rockabilly style band with a seventy <laughs> seven style band, you know, with a with a performance artist. You, you know, it was a uh, and it, w- way more interesting time for. A variety you know it was before everything went like oh all the pop punk bands are now going to go over here and do this and all the all the metal tinge bands are going to go do this and you know and everybody went there into their own little uh box you know it was it seemed very free at that time um
0: yeah i think that also survived the gilman a lot longer than it was other places i can remember even going there in the late 90s and seeing like at the drive-in with lack of interest with that day like three bands that should not share a bill yet somehow at the gilman they're sharing a bill
1: <laughs> right yeah which is cool and i, yeah. I wish it was more. i wish it was more like that you know who wants like to go see three bands that sound the same
0: yeah well like yeah exactly like you were saying like it, it, it's less boring that way like to not know what's coming next is there's a there's an element of excitement to that
1: And that formed my whole idea. And that's why I still consider myself a punk and why I still consider neurosis punk is because to us, that's what it was. It's fuck you. We do what we want, Mm -hmm. you know, and we sound how we want it. It it turned out that wasn't the case and things were going to get narrow minded on us pretty quick.
0: But well, I think to me, like the scene that, you know, ultimately, you know, you, when you're joined neurosis, you, you're a part of is that that to me is indicative of that. Like the fact that you've got, no effects the melvins and yourselves all playing shows around and together and knowing each other like that's three bands that sound nothing alike yet three bands that are 100 percent from punk rock like it's just like that's the idealized scene
1: absolutely absolutely and if you tell people you know these days like oh yeah we used to play with no effects and be like what (laughs) you know or you want to make it even weirder well we used to play with green day too and offspring i'm like no way (laughs) That's crazy. And well, it wasn't crazy, you know. It it was it was music and it wasn't uh things weren't so pigeonholed.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's just it's just like it also shows like what a cool lightning rod punk rock is that it attracts like all these people that will take it and run completely different ways with it, but that they're all in these same places together at one point.
1: Yeah, no, I mean that whole period of time, like from 87 to 89 when i joined neurosis was so many so much life happened in such a short amount of time i i think even transgressor we changed our name a couple times after that eventually ending on tribe of resistance um Oh, that's uh, the tribal
0: resistance. I, I have had, I've had that seven inch for years, and didn't even realize till today that it was you on that record. I've always wanted to know what the deal with that because it's just like taped over prank records on the label and has a prank sleeve, but like clearly it wasn't originally pressed for prank.
1: Well, no, okay, that was part of. So I I had um, like I said I dove in hundred percent. I started a fanzine with some friends. We only did I think maybe three issues or so, but but I wanted to do all the things. You know, I want, and I wanted to start a label too. With our fanzine, we interviewed uh, Neurosis was when we interviewed Amoebix. Oh, that's
0: awesome. What was it uh, called?
1: Divided Allegiance.
0: This sounds awesome. Just from the two bands you mentioned in the name, I got to track down an issue with this thing.
1: Yeah, I don't know if you'd be able to find one, but uh, we, we interviewed like, uh, you know, COC and Voivod and um, uh, Twisted. um basically anybody we could track down at the gigs we were going to we'd bring a recorder with us and improvise interviews and and did a few uh few issues but and so i also wanted to start a a record label and um uh, when we changed our name to tribe of resistance i was becoming um pretty political Mm -hmm. pretty uh uh very much into political punk or peace punk as they were calling it then i went backwards in time and discovered crass um and did a deep dive and you know i'd kind of missed crucifix when they were i just by a a couple years you know Mm -hmm. and that that uh that lp is one of my favorites to this day the annihilation lp um subhumans final conflict from la uh, Ron is a friend of this day, um, iconoclast rudimentary I amoebic. So I was just getting inundated with all of these bands that were somehow merging politics with uh, the hardcore and, um, and, uh, I was hanging out a lot with the hippie core guys in Arizona.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I was doing a lot of native American, uh, activism and which was pulling me away from music quite a bit, actually and um um i had this epic idea of this seven inch was going to be it, it the, the pro it, it's a prime example of why vi- being very specific about politics in music really dates dates it because it's talking about the uh stuff going on in nicaragua south africa at the time which you know now it's history right mm-hmm. um whereas to to speak more I know i learned that with with neurosis to speak more about the emotional impact of of being thinking feeling human beings behind political struggles you know is, is more effective and more timeless but but at the time that's what i was dedicated to so i wanted to start a record label and i was going to and i pressed a thousand copies of that seven inch and uh was all into it but i got bogged down making my epic politically correct booklet (laughs) that was going to be like way too much to read for a punk rock seven inch but um so it just sat there and then i joined neurosis and the past was the past i'm moving forward forget it and uh ken sanderson who when i joined neurosis and we were booking our first tour basically just you know Calling people that Kamala gave us the numbers for, or the people that answer our ad and maximum rock and roll from wanting to book a tour. Uh he lived in Auburn, Alabama at the time. It's way before prank. And he he booked our first show in Auburn, Alabama. Um yeah. and uh and so years later, when he had moved to the Bay Area and started prank, he's like, I heard you have a thousand seven inches in your closet. <laughs> what are you gonna do with those? And uh I said, I don't know, I, I'm not really inspired to do anything with it. That's why they're still sitting there. And and uh then I thought, well, you know what? Just to kind of honor the vibe I was going for, why don't I give them to you, you sell them and donate all the money to the Western Shoshone Defense Project, which was something I was into at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh I grabbed a Sharpie and drew a cover. <laughs> <laughs> uh I, I think I, I, I typed a font and, and, and put it on there, taped it on there, reversed it and gave it to him and uh, let him get rid of them and donate the money.
0: So, so that's recorded prior to you joining Neurosis?
1: yeah that was that was uh probably 88 probably not long after that's why i think like again so many lifetimes happened that transgressor demo was 87 and it sounded like a thrashy dri and that it's the same dudes uh and that's like a year later um
0: i think that seven inch rips and it's funny that i always thought it was after i don't know like post neurosis in a lot of ways because you know, like i it's it does sound like the stuff on word is law, you know, but it's it's so interesting that's before that,
1: yeah, well, I think that's you know I became friends with Dave, uh, Dave Edwardson from neurosis. and uh I would go hang out with him every weekend because he lived up in Berkeley, and I was in San Jose, and I wanted to be where the shows were, you know, so i'd I'd spend every weekend up there crashing on his couch, uh, and we'd just talk music and and stuff and and we were into a lot of the sim- similar stuff to and Voivod and those uh, augmented guitar chords and and I love Neurosis Neurosis and Christ on Parade were my two favorite local bands um you know uh because to me they had that kind of they definitely were East Bay they definitely had that kind of uh, bay area there's something in the water um yeah. thing going on there's something more psychological or psychedelic even even in the hardcore you could still kind of tell mm-hmm. um but they also kind of referenced what i liked about some of those english bands you know amoebics and subhumans and um P-N-I. but uh so hanging out with dave and getting to know him uh, obviously i i he knew my uh tribe of resistance stuff and we put a couple songs on the uh, thing that ain't floyd comp that lookout put out yeah that neurosis is also on and uh and so i i think we saw that those two kind of styles could kind of meet you know there's a lot of a lot of similar ideas going on
0: yeah and i and i know you i've had you know scott obviously has let me know that like the word is the word is law is not a favorite record for the band but i think that thing's a fucking masterpiece like obviously you guys did more and and greater masterpieces since then but i love that record so much and it's such like i don't like that that to me is like true prog punk you know like where it's not like someone faking progressive like it actually is people trying to be progressive in the same way prog music is that to me
1: Mm. uh yeah i suppose (laughs) i mean uh, at the time we were I'm obviously into it. Um just looking back, that one I don't know. Maybe it's because it's the first one I'm on. It makes me unsatisfied with it. Um whereas I can listen to pain of mind since I'm not on it, I don't have any ego attachment to it. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, well, also
0: you love that I guess you were a fan of that record, right? Oh, for
1: sure. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, that whole first wave of records that Alchemy Records put out was fucking like phenomenal clown alley neurosis melvin's poison idea
0: mm-hmm. what Man. a what a label like what a, like for someone to hear those bands and be like yeah i'm gonna bring them together and create like it's just so heavy it, it is super heavy
1: yeah and it's dark you know yeah. it, it was uh very different than you know, like we were definitely the black sheep on lookout. Although you know they were really good people doing great stuff and supporting the local scene, so definitely no complaints. Um, but um, you know they definitely had that kind of dark, darker element. They were into something heavy, and and Victor Hayden and Mark Dutrum, I think, had a had a great ear for that stuff. But yeah, looking back at where I mean, I was only I came in in the later period of writing that stuff, so I only really contributed one song. Um, but, uh, that was us learning to play together and learning how we could stretch and learning, you know, every piece is important to becoming who you are. So might not like it, but definitely don't regret it. You know, like it, it, we needed to pass through that portal to realize, oh, we're hearing way more. We're hearing way more sounds. We're hearing heavier guitar tones. We're hearing, uh the beginning of life itself and the death of everything all in tones and uh this isn't it
0: (laughs) (laughs) i think also the thing you know is it's like uh, pain of mind is is an incredible like punk record whereas like this is an album like it it feels like a, a journey when you're on it like and it's just there's so few like punk is such a seven inch genre that like the punk album like to pull that off is you know and just to hear that as a young person just being like fuck this is an epic record but I, you know once again like I'm not there so I can only imagine what the yeah rest of the no is that's different.
1: true yeah no I mean we were definitely going for epic I mean there's some songs on there uh where you could hear we're definitely trying to with what limited skills we had as 19 year olds you know mm-hmm. well I was 19 um <laughs> yeah. but uh yeah, just struggling, you know, struggling to find our voice and and it was uh, you know, really over the next couple records that we found it.
0: It's amazing also like just go back to Alchemy like the fact that you, you know, even like the other bands that you have like Rich Kids on LSDs on that label, oh like,
1: that record with the comic book. Yeah,
0: so great. It's so awesome that record. And and like another band that, you know, like it just from what everyone's come on, like a band that by, especially by that period was like it was it was kind of a dark hang
1: for sure you know and uh they got yeah bringing up just mentioning rkl I'm, I'm picturing some of their concerts they would play they brought these psychedelic light show with them <laughs> and they you know like a 60s style oil oil light show and uh but man they ripped yeah, that bass player was a freaking monster playing this goonie steinberg you know headless bass like the, the, the like the worst looking bass but just shredding so hard on that on that stuff and and uh that really brings me back to that time you know and that cl- mentioning alchemy that clown alley record like what an interesting band you had lo- you know Lori black blackwood later joined the melvins um mm-hmm. uh, and uh um just a really interesting i don't know interesting sounding group like they definitely had kind of rock and metal leanings but in a totally different way
0: yeah there's something really you know, like you know that could only come out of like that sort of san francisco scene where it's just like, like it's just a lot of i don't know, it feels like there's a lot of musical freedom kind of happening at that time too yeah i i agree i agree so uh you know like once again there's such an explosion going on like almost pair like because alchemy was more like bands that would play um what's the venue it was like it wasn't the gilman right these bands necessarily playing well they could but uh, i mean other so i mean
1: the the scene was definitely vibrant like gilman was one aspect gilman was the place where you know drugs and alcohol is not allowed and yeah so a lot lot of the older crowd was like i'm not going there (laughs) (laughs) you know what punk rock we can't even drink outside that's bullshit you know (laughs) and um but I mean, that definitely served its purpose. And and one thing I did learn from that aspect of the scene was, you know, being goofy and not taking yourself too seriously, uh, is definitely, uh, important, an important life lesson, you know, Mm -hmm. it's okay to be deadly serious about your art and your music, but you don't have to take yourself so seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, so I think that, that that kind of aspect. But there was also, you know, then San Francisco and Oakland, we had the underground warehouse scene. I mean, neurosis kind of came out of the Emeryville warehouse where COC played on one of their first tours out and Melvins stayed when they first came down from the Northwest um, and Christ on parade played. And so you had this kind of cross pollination. Also we had that earlier industrial movement, you know, the SRL folks and uh, trial and treason and uh um, no yeah a state of mind kind of one of the kind of uh proto peace punk bands of the um you know more leaning towards crafts than what would come later with the crusty stuff
0: well i was gonna say because also trial like used to play with crucifix they were kind of like a peace punky band right
1: kind of but then they turned that man that that is a record to find if you're not aware of it is trial moments of collapse is that like i have the
0: seven inch but I, i don't think that one right
1: it, it's a huge influence on me. They got super uh, kind of gothy, tribal oh, wow. gothy. Uh, it's really dark and heavy. Um, I
0: got
1: find that. Yeah. Um, this guy that would later record uh, two of my solo records, Desmond O'Shea, he uh, he played bass in that band. And uh, th- yeah, no, they were like uh, a lot of Christian death and cure mm. meets like kinda, and joy division uh, but still with the kind of peace punk attitude, but getting a little more philosophical and psychological as, as opposed to straight up uh, politics. It was an incredible
0: record moments of collapse. Oh, I got to find that. I also read an interview one time you were talking about throbbing gristle uh, becoming an influence at some point. Like, so I guess that bridge stuff is also like that early industrial stuff is also like in there for you too. Right.
1: Yeah, for sure. Coming from the South Bay, i was lucky to be able to tune in uh this kfjc it's a radio community community radio station from a junior college on the peninsula and they when i was in high school they blew my mind like i first was attracted to it because somebody's like hey this radio station's playing six hours of the misfits (laughs) you know so we all got our cassettes ready like how how is there even six hours of misfits (laughs) you know uh it was like every bootleg and every live recording they could dig up, and they and, actually uh, did
0: six hours. I thought it was just like a, yeah. a legend. They actually did six no, hours. They did
1: six hours of the Misfits.
0: Oh, my God, that's amazing. Yeah, it is
1: amazing. In fact, I wish I still had those tapes.
0: That is, yeah. I think maybe I should go to my parents' house. Yeah, I think that would also. That's like something that I think uh, you know, like that. That is, uh oh, it's wild to think about. Like just, those records were impossible to acquire back then, too, right? Like they that, were tough. Yeah, that's some searching. I mean, it a couple of the
1: LPs. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so that was, it. so I started listening to it just cause they would play punk and then, you know, they had people doing the weird stuff. That's where I heard coil and throbbing gristle and, and weird folk music from around the world and, and different, uh, um, you know, different than what you would think of as a college station from that time, they were definitely weirdos. You know, they had conspiracy theorists that would talk for a couple hours on, whatever JFK or post, you know, California's new fourth Reich, you know, like uh, really interesting stuff that was to a teenager uh, really mind expanding, you know? Um, So I I remember thinking that I I knew what dark, scary music was. And then I heard throbbing gristle and realized it was all,
0: (laughs) (laughs) it was nothing I had ever heard was that dark or scary, you know? It's funny when you know, because like you know, I think now, especially when people talk about college radio or college rock or college music or whatever, you know, it drums up a certain type of indie rock image. But the reality is, when you listen to college radio, like you're saying, it could be throbbing gristle and it could be someone, you know, giving their theories about where random illnesses came from, you know, for yeah, for like four hours. Like it was, it's you know, not it's all not, rem, no, no, it's definitely not. <laughs> but as a kid you're right like it's a gateway especially in like a pre-internet world to all these like realms of forbidden knowledge be it music or any anything right yeah
1: i i think it's hard uh i hate to get caught up in nostalgia um in certain ways you know or uh, kids these days don't know what it was like um but i think we were just really fortunate to grow up in an age where um, it took discovery. You had to be a part of it to find it. It took work and effort to go discover this stuff. You, you had to find the alternative bookstore. If you were looking for the research, uh, modern primitive book or the, you know, you had to, uh, get to the anarchist bookstore in San Francisco. If you wanted some truly subversive literature, you know, you, you, you couldn't just uh, wish it and find it instantly, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and uh like the tape trading going back to that tape trading thing or finding fanzines, you know, reading scene reports and maximum rock and roll and 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 sending things in the mail right <laughs> handwriting letters and sending them to people across the world and and uh getting a response just like connecting about punk rock. I once ran into I was uh on tour with neurosis probably in the 90s and I was in Paris uh in the catacombs, you know? Yeah. And, uh, just tripping out on there. This guy goes, Hey, Steve, Steve. <laughs> and I was thinking it was kind of like a rock ignite, a rock ignition, you know, from being a yeah. neurosis or whatever, but it turns out he was a tape trading pal from when we were teenagers.
0: <laughs> is he just on vacation or is he, is he from Paris just hanging out in the catacombs?
1: He's not from Paris. No, he was okay. an American or maybe that's a odd. Canadian even. <laughs> oh, that's uh, so wild! yeah. And, and, uh, yeah so that was that was a trip
0: it's it's like you know it it's amazing how that was like an international network that just like it doesn't really exist in the same way in any other place in music you know like the fact that you had this distribution thing that wasn't based on monetary kind of you know gratification it's just to to spread the love of music and it just feels so pure compared to like not (laughs) nostalgic like you're saying
1: and you had to develop relationships with yeah. other human beings into what you were into, not necessarily like uh, promoters who work for the live nation or some, you know, uh, you know, people who are kind of into your band with a corporate gig. Um, you know, it was like, oh, we're going to L.A. We'll call Ron from Final Conflict. Let's get a gig. Yeah. You know, we're, we're going to uh, we're going up to Oregon, but let's stop halfway and let's call Bruce from the detonators and uh, get a gig in Eugene and then then we'll get the resist guys to ho- hook us up in Portland and we'll get the um subvert guys to hook us up in Seattle and nausea is going to take care of us in New York, you know, and the profane existence people will hook us up in Minneapolis. And, you know, that's what Ken Sanderson in Auburn, Alabama, that's what it was. It was, it was getting on the phone, having conversations about music and what you love and, and making, making things happen. Mm-hmm.
0: And it feels like, you know, once again, get that continuum, like, the fact is like, this is something that started, you know, like a, a few years earlier, but like the fact that like, it was once again, like a punk thing, that's just been passed down. Like the punk house becomes another punk house and that number changes in the, in the book that gets passed around or in book, your own fucking life, or it, it just feels like it's, it's such a a generational thing that's getting passed down.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cause we were, we were definitely, you know, it was the, the black flags and the hoosker that paved the way for us. You know, um, and uh then maximum rock and roll and and that whole kind of book your own life movement uh, you know, uh yeah re- really kind of paved that whole way I mean our, our whole first tours i don't I don't even think we played a half a dozen actual clubs, yeah, you know, I think they were all basements or you know freemason halls or whatever um.
0: And that, and that almost is like, like you're saying like black flag and who's could do pave the way for you guys. Like, I think that scene that you guys are kind of building or that, you know, that like next wave of the scene is like what paves the way for ultimately like the band that I'm playing in and like the next wave of bands, like it's, it's constantly evolving, you know, and it's getting more DIY and people are kind of figuring out, you know, like, okay, well we don't necessarily need to do it in a bar. We can, we can rent this hall like, and do it in the middle of our town. And, you know, it just feels like, you know, it, it's it's like the scene that you're a part of is directly setting up the scene that comes next on that first right. tour, first few tours. Yeah, yeah. What, Like, you know, once again, like it's there's so much stuff happening back in San Francisco. Like how much interaction did you have with like Slapaham and Chris Dodge and like sort of that power violence thing that's happening and that whole sort of extreme side? Because that's the thing about Neurosis, it's so dense that you guys fit into so many worlds.
1: Yeah, well, I mean... Uh, first of all, like before I even joined neurosis, like Chris Dodge became a really good fan because, uh, I think probably because of a tape comp, mm. I think maybe he was putting together a tape comp that had sticky and he wanted to put a uh, transgressor on there. And we started hanging out and, uh, going to shows together. And, uh, we had kind of a tight group of friends and I, I got, um, you know, met all the other sticky guys and, and we would hang out, but, uh, yeah, Chris Dodge and I became pretty tight. We had a, we had a few other friends, Wayne and and John, and we would go, we'd go to Gilman or or San Francisco to all these other shows, and um, again, just part of. Uh, and they were part of the fanzine that I did as well, um, and um, and then I think right as I joined, no, maybe before I joined Neurosis. Chris had just started Slap a Ham because I remember, I don't remember the first things he put out, but I do remember these Melvin's uh eight-inch flexi, some ridiculous size.
0: Yeah, it's like, an eight-inch flexi. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, man. And uh yes, yeah, so I, I I remember I went to to him, his house, him and his ex ex's house, I think for I don't know, a, a holiday meal of some sort. And and buzz and dale were there as well and and uh and um i think once i joined neurosis i got really narrow uh focus i put my blinders on like nose to the grindstone and i really just wanted to develop that thing so i didn't uh interact as much as i did uh Mm -hmm. before but i was definitely aware of i i mean oh he was always a fan of that gnarly uh uh fast ugly you know early grind i guess would, would yeah which would later be called power violence i guess mm-hmm. um and so yeah so when he started uh his band it was definitely super impressive like that was really crazy and then i in the last few years i think I, like fuck is chris playing bass for fucking infest like what <laughs> yeah, yes. like talk about f- full circle you know like yeah, yeah from from when we were like tripping out on that tape or or whatever you know and then like now all these years later we're old men and he's fucking playing an in infest like it's incredible
0: it's 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 funny because like that first round of releases that they do on slap ham it's like that that melvin's record there's that first fu manchu record there's um that's right and i got that one yeah and there's like that death metal thing it's almost i've always kind of felt that like uh didn't he put out burning
1: witch he did yeah later on you know i i man i snoozed on that i was like not paying attention and and came to those records later and was just like holy shit why wasn't i paying attention like that
0: such intense records well, and it, it felt like that record came out almost in like the waning days of slap ham too. And it felt like the world wasn't ready because I remember buying it as, as a kid, just, you know, because I was like that kind of nerd about that label and, and getting it and being like, oh, this is awesome. But all my friends being like, nah, I don't know about this. But then, yeah, like a few years later, I think when, when people realized like what it was, like it was almost like not for that label, but that's one of the sickest vocals ever. Like that vocal is just something that's still rings in my head to this agonizing day. agonizing yeah. in the best way but. yeah
1: very few very few people actually deserve the crown of doom yeah i think that does yeah uh yeah. but yeah but what he was doing with spaz too was so crazy and with his sense of humor you know mm-hmm. he was always he was the guy probably single-handedly uh who really gave me that lesson you know because we're angry little thrash punk kids you know, taking ourselves way too seriously. And he's didn't. <laughs> like de- again, deadly serious about the dedication to the music and about doing the right thing. But let's not, you know, let's not be uh too full of ourselves here.
0: Yeah, like it definitely it was almost like a I don't know, just you like you're saying, like it was this sort of uh sense of humor that hardcore needed and and punk rock especially for something as like sonically aggressive as that label was putting out like it almost needed that kind of balance out like the the sugar and the coffee type thing for for uh you know be like oh but it's still it's still fun right like it's not all doom and gloom
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah or at least we can laugh while it's all burning
0: exactly exactly maybe it was more doom and gloom then you know it, we let on with the laughter but um so I guess like going back to when you did join neurosis like where where was like because that's right around the time that you know I guess you play that show where you play the I, you do the whole record start to finish right when it comes out the word is law at the Gilman it's like a legendary show I don't recall Okay. No, I think, I think it's been written about in a book. That's how I know about it. So I just read read about it, but it just feels like, you know, like as we're talking about how goofy in the sense of humor that you guys were on like a different trip and not to say that you weren't humorless or that you were humorless or anything, but at the same time, like it's very serious what you're doing, right? Like it's, it's a, it's different than, than slap ham or, or green day
1: for sure i mean you know hanging out with people we like to joke around as as, as much as anybody else did but it just seemed like publicly artistically if we were going to be true to our vision like we weren't fucking around it 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 was going to be um the distillation sonically of of what it means um to contemplate uh our personal trials and tribulations uh when you're zooming in and then zooming out to the entire species and what's our relationship to each other and and to the planet and to uh, the horrific things that go on in humanity and the beauty as well but you know uh tending towards the darker side we thought that uh exercising and confronting the the demons of humanity and kind of holding up a mirror, Um, taking a page from one of uh, Charles Manson's quote, but holding up a mirror to to society and saying, this is you. Mm. Um, You know, that's, that's really what we were kind of aiming for is how, how to encompass the whole um, emotional journey of, of being human.
0: I, I kind of felt there's like a hope too in in your music too. Like as much as it is about like the bleakness that we're dealing with, but there's almost like a, there's a hope in the uncertainty to it. Like it's not like it's just that there's there's something that's gonna maybe happen, you know. Like even like you know once again, so we're talking since so we're talking about that record, but to what end, you know? Like the idea that like are we alone? Like is there is there like a chance? Like it, like there's almost a hope in that question
1: yeah well, I think that runs through the through the whole that that thread runs through our whole journey of well, you know there is all of this heavy stuff, but ultimately we are here, and we are transcending it, and we are pushing through i mean we've um for all of the ills and um uh misfortune that humanity seems to bring along with it wherever it goes and whatever it does there's also incredible miraculous things i mean the the you know the ingenuity and the creativity of of the conscious mind cannot never be underestimated you know unfortunately we choose to use it in in bizarre ways and and chasing strange uh uh pathways but, but um you know here we are on on a podcast using Technology talking about art and music, so can't be all bad.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, definitely. It's it's that's the. I guess if it was all bad, it would be like, well, it's a, I don't know if you could get past a couple records with that. You know, there has to be a little bit of hope there.
1: Yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, I, I think it, it, it's about confronting and transcendence. You yeah,
0: know? I've always like. It's also you know, I think punk is is at times it can become about giving people answers like simple answers and you know eventually you know just reducing itself to sloganeering at a certain point and i think that's the thing about neurosis like every time it's it's never presented to you in any sort of way like this is what you need to think this is what you need to believe like it's, you're, you're showing people the pictures and letting them come to their own conclusion yeah i i f- i
1: find that in in everything that uh not only that neurosis does, but I think what I've done in my solo work mm-hmm. and and in my poetry as well. It's it's I don't have any answers. I only have my own uh wonderings and 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 abstract quest, you know, and and uh sense of wonder and questioning and um uh, the emotions I feel behind it and I think if you paint those things in a way that is abstract enough to not bore somebody with your poor little problems, but uh, um, gives them an emotional framework in which to have their own unique emotional experience with the art, um, it's infinitely more powerful because they're going they're going to be projecting their own life experience into it and having their own unique thing, which is infinitely way more powerful than anything i can come up with cerebrally or in in exact words you know
0: yeah i think like you know just from playing in a band you know i think we tried to do that in the beginning but as soon as we went on tour that went out the window for me and i had to let people in because i was just you know because it's it is touring especially on that diy level can be something that is kind of like a grueling thing you know, not in the real grueling sense, but like, you know, from from the touring standpoint, like a grueling experience that just wore me down. Like, how did you guys and how I guess to this day went on went on tour? Like, how do you maintain that kind of like emotional well-being to be able to go up there and put that kind of show on every night
1: like mm-hmm. throughout
0: the day, you know?
1: Yeah, the show itself was never the issue, you know, like once. Once you surrender to the music and you open up. um, And I think this is kind of what sets us apart from a lot of our peers at the time is that we, and it sounds cheesy. It sounds like some hippie bullshit, but we almost took a shamanic approach of trying to let it actually just wash through us and to open ourselves up to it more as like mediums than as Egos delivering our great art to you, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. just that this this is all stuff that exists, like weather exists, and when we adjust our filters correctly, we can bring this up out of the center of the earth and be a conduit for it, right? Um, and um, so once you're there, it's on. But but that experience of the other twenty two hours of the day that you're probably referring to, <laughs> yep. uh, the hurry up and wait, the you know the feeling useless with your time, um, all of that. I mean, especially right now, man fuck we shouldn't complain no it, i know
0: i feel that so <laughs> as i said that question i'm like i yeah, would do anything to be sitting in a i would do anything
1: room. to, yeah i would do anything to be like in north carolina at a yeah. record store right now waiting for for sound check uh, yeah,
0: uh oh god yeah
1: <laughs> but uh man like um really since 1999 we've we've been maybe 25 to 30 shows a year tops yeah. so So, since that time, I've really had nothing but a feeling of gratitude and thankfulness that I even get the opportunity to do such a thing. How many people uh, never get to do anything that cool? Yeah. You know, and here I am out with friends, making music, meeting friends I've known for 30 years in towns all over the world, nerding out about music, you know? there's nothing better. And the life experiences we had out there and shitty vans breaking down all over the US and Europe. Um, when it was harder, when we were, were out for 10 weeks at a time, uh, with no money and everything, that all it's freaking glorious. You know, it's like living an outsider life, living like pirates or Vikings, <laughs> you know, just just out there us against them. Uh, it, it's uh you know, it, it probably is somewhat equivalent to pirates or Vikings or, or being in a motorcycle club or, or the military, you know, in that you, you you've got your family that you've chosen that you are dedicated to, and that you are out there, uh, following your, uh, your role, you know, your, what you were put here to do. And, um. And yeah, like I said, I mean, I've, I've, I've probably forgotten more than most people have gotten to experience and, and, uh, nothing but gratitude for that. It all made lifelong friends, made lifelong experiences, hopefully added some experiences that would lead to wisdom later on in life. And, uh, yeah, so I don't know, grat- nothing but gratitude.
0: A, a couple of months ago, um, Jenny Beth was on. And uh, when she was on, she was talking about Casavetti's the director, and this idea of living in your art. And like, there's just certain p- artists where you kind of get the extension that it's not as much performative as it's an extension. And I've always felt that about, you know, obviously your solo record included in this, but Neurosis and the work that comes out of your kind of whole camp, like that you're, that it feels like it's more, an extension of your beings than a performative thing that you know re- the reality is most bands are.
1: Yeah. I think um there's people that are natural born performers and I don't think we are them. And mm-hmm. you know, we don't like to talk.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh oh, sorry uh, about this. I've made no you talk I mean, a long I mean, time.
1: <laughs> man, I mean yeah. I, we don't like to talk on stage yeah, yeah. what could we possibly say that's going to uh, add anything of meaning to that music mm-hmm. um how you guys doing <laughs> you know like um uh, so it really seemed that like we we i think around souls at zero when we blew the kind of doors wide open sonically and we brought in the sampler and the keyboards and we made sure that we were as heavy as we wanted to be and that we were, uh, you know, really pushing ourselves to create the music that we couldn't hear, but we knew existed, um, that we wanted to hear that didn't exist yet. Um, there was a distillation of everything we loved about heavy, intense music. Um, we knew that we had to make a commitment to uh being the music you know especially on stage you know that um in that way of surrendering to it and letting it flow through us even if it racks your body apart even if it you know uh makes you convulse your body in a way that's ridiculous but that's what the music kind of demands um that we weren't going to we weren't going to be performers you know we weren't going to be actors like uh regurgitating stuff that we were going to be we were going to be the music
0: i have kept you and made you talk for a very long time now uh but i've barely scratched the surface i don't we're, we're just hitting souls at zero i guess right now in the in the slow timeline uh would you come back into a part two at some point i i would do a part two anytime
1: anytime you want and i uh, you know if you want to keep going i'm good to go whatever whatever sounds good to
0: you well i definitely have a couple more questions that's okay too
1: (laughs) yeah let's want to wrap up segment one in some way that makes sense
0: um one thing i you know going back to what you're saying about the maximum rock and roll comp and, and you know reflects the international nature of hardcore and punk rock i always thought that your choice records live series is super underrated for just the diversity of bands that wind up on like the sonic diversity of bands that wind up on that, that series, but also just like, it's so cool that you just can put all these bands live experiences up beside each other. And that's like, that's like one of the first things you played on, right. That live record. Um, It's the, it's the empty live. 70. Okay.
1: That was actually originally for um, your choice. Reissued it. Um
0: is originally allied that put it out first yes it was oh. yep it, w-
1: it was It uh it was john who was working at uh alternative tentacles um and uh he had done a lot of the layouts i think for uh the um i wasn't in the band yet but he did the layout for the aberration ep mm-hmm. uh, which was the seven inch that came out on lookout yeah so john had had started allied recordings and we did the empty seven inch which i believe was recorded live at gilman yeah it is yeah um you know it wasn't the best sound quality but it was like recorded live to two track and i remember mastering it at uh the sound guy from gilman's uh house where basically we were just running a cassette through like a, a home stereo equalizer Mm-hmm That was the mastering, (laughs) uh, but you know, it was what it was. And, and, uh, and that was a, that was a, I don't know, cool thing. And then when we, when we got to Germany for the first time, yeah, that was actually, that was actually out. We were of course way, you know, way past that point in our sound at that time, but was, um, was day of the Lords on that?
0: I don't remember what two songs are on it actually, because I also get that confused with the other bootleg, that black live seven inch bootleg that came out. Yeah, I don't remember what
1: was on that, but. um,
0: That is, I've got that right here. That's, oh, that's the 86 demo, and then it's black live in 89. uh, Okay. And then so the other one, uh, I gotta see if I can reach I got my seven inches in this room with me, but it's like, how far can I stretch? my core to get oh day of the lord in the choice
1: yeah okay so day uh, day of the lords is joy division cover
0: oh that that's right that i haven't listened to this single in a minute but it is i gotta pick it up i gotta put it back on because it is uh i don't know just like i it's 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 so cool to kind of get like you know it's the sound quality being what it is but just that that kind of image of you guys live at that time
1: yeah. I mean, that, yeah, that was definitely our transition period, you know, we we're playing uh joy division and our word as lost stuff and trying to figure out how we were going to become the sound of the apocalypse in the future.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 I can, uh, sadly you were you were very much uh, on, on the path of where things were going very early on. Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: Sadly, you again. sadly, we, I yeah. wish we were all wrong
0: yeah i know that's the that's the thing it's like if only validation didn't feel so shitty because it's it really is validating all those punk lyrics from all those years and and especially your lyrics
1: if only we would have known then that uh yeah reagan and bush were the worst things we had to worry about
0: yeah yeah absolutely well i guess um not to not to end on a downer but to end on uh more of a more of a nerdy kind of kind of note where Like you mentioned earlier that, you know, research uh, book, like I always felt that that was like another part of the band too. Like there's almost like this like deep kind of connection to like that, that whole research scene almost and stuff was, were you a fan of that? Were you reading all that stuff?
1: Yeah, for sure. We, we were into, yeah, the JG Ballard books and the uh, the kind of older alternative industrial culture. Like I think the, you know, industrial in our age turned out to be skinny puppy and ministry, which, was not how I originally understood the term, you know, yeah. like the, 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 terms all, all mean different things, with, and later in life, but it's like emo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. To me, that's still like uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mid-period di- uh, discord, but, um, yeah. <laughs> um, but the, that whole, survival especially survival research laboratories the building of the machines and the hanging up of the weird flyers with these bizarre abstract statements uh, of, of doom and gloom like that that and uh and the way throbbing gristle was truly scary and terrifying you know uh mm-hmm. made you look at like the the punk rock at the time going "What well, this is like this is like chuck Berry compared yeah. to Compared to what they're doing, what they're doing is genuinely terrifying. you yeah. know? Like I'm yeah. extremely uncomfortable,
0: <laughs> yeah. well, that that was the thing about like that's true counterculture culture to me is that sort of like the research stuff, like that pranks video and the pranks book. like, you know, reading about Joe Coleman smashed up right beside blowing himself up yeah blowing with frank discussion you know from the feeders talking about giving credit cards to people with bad credit deliberately to fuck with the credit card companies
1: right yeah that was definitely that was definitely a big part i think of of the underbelly of that scene that was kind of the part that was still existing in the warehouse underground kind of art movement you know Mm -hmm. of the bay area and we were we were definitely tapping into that especially as we went into that next phase of souls at zero where we were incorporating uh any type of sound could become an instrument and where we brought in the psychedelic projections which were kind of uh loosely inspired by the 60s psychedelic projections but then bringing along with it that whole art damaged uh independent film uh yeah, industrial warehouse art culture, you know, like bringing bringing all that discomfort and all those uncomfortable things like collaging all the the most upsetting uh stuff we possibly could with the most beautiful stuff we could, you know, having like psychedelic multicolored mandalas interspersed with animal experimentation and uh concentration camp footage uh was uh pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Well, anytime you want to get comfortable and kick back and talk about punk rock, please know, Steve, and the door is always open. And I got to thank you for all the music and also just all the influence because, really, like you, you did shape my worldview in a lot of ways.
1: My pleasure, and and thank you for uh, having this educational um, service where we all get to listen to other people talk about their experiences with punk rock and how much it means to us.
0: Oh, thank you, Steve, for coming on the show. And Steve will be back for part two because there's a lot more to get to. Oh, wow. That was awesome. I'm, I'm so happy I got to have that conversation. One of my favorite voices. His voice is just so, I don't know, just like the, the, him and Scott's voice together, the, the sonic kind of like, you know, war they have. But, I don't know, it's beautiful to me. All right, that is uh, that. Uh, I, I'm going to keep the good times going. Uh, next week on the show, I'm going to keep it with one of my favorite songwriters of all time. You know, like, why don't we keep it with favorites? Why don't we just keep the positive vibes going from some of the greatest bands ever. One of the greatest songwriters ever from Straightjacket Fits, from the Double Happies, from his own solo work, uh, from Dimmer, from just so much goodness. Shane Carter will be on the show. It is a fun conversation. If you are not familiar with Shane Carter, I implore you to check out his music. He's just, you know, so much incredible stuff that he's been involved in or put out. Uh, Oh, I, I, I forgot the board games too. I forgot his, his amazing first punk band, the board games and that list of bands that he's been involved in. But you, you could, because he has just been involved in so much great stuff. He's put out probably the best music autobiography of the last. I don't know. I I can't think of one I've read that I liked more or that I enjoyed more than his. His is is fascinating, and we dive into this magical place in New Zealand of 180,000 people that yet somehow has churned out consistently some of the greatest bands in the world. Like just it's unbelievable. Anyway, we get into all this stuff next week. This is going to be a real. I think it's gonna be a real eye opener for some people. For some people, it's it's gonna be an awesome one because you get to actually, you know, just nerd out about punk rock with one of the greats from New Zealand. But for a lot of people, there's gonna be an eye opener because there's a lot of people that I find I I would think would know this stuff that don't know about this stuff, and that's not a slight on anyone. Capture Tracks has done a great job on reissuing this stuff, and and people have been championing this stuff at Matador and Merge and you know all sorts of places. For years But uh, I don't know I'm always shocked that people haven't heard a lot About these bands from New Zealand But anyway, check out Flying Nun Records Check out the conversation next week with Shane Carter I guess I should plug the plugs again Off the top Um, Check out the new Fucked Up song You're the Horse uh, Out now on Bandcamp Check out Flood Magazine for uh, Punk as fuck stuff Check out uh, Check out that new Steve Von Till Solo album definitely check that out and his new book obviously as well. Check out that new uh, channel 66 Vance YouTube thing. Probably maybe some turn out of punk stuff. Hopefully one day we'll, be, we'll see. I don't know. that. And uh, that's that. All right. Remember as always, black lives matter. The lives of indigenous people matter. We need to protect trans kids and, and we need to help trans people protect themselves. Uh, go out there, get informed. Just, read people's perspectives, you know, read what people are going through. You know, if you have money, there's lots of organizations and causes that that could use help. And yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, a time to still be aware and involved, you know, smash fascism. Fuck this shit. Fuck Nazis. Uh, sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them anymore. And someone else, Probably does. So, you know, just just sign that card. Wear a mask. Definitely please wear a mask and, and be safe and wash your hands. Uh, and do something creative, you know, just help get out there and and just, you know, you don't have to put it out there. Just put yourself out there creatively, you know, for yourself and, and see what happens, you know. Try different things. Try Try new things. Try new outlets, new mediums of art, you know, you never know what happens. You never know. Uh, and, uh, try meditating. I've really, you know, once again, I know people say that all the time. There's even a joke on a TV show. Laura and I were watching the other night about, you know, a, a guy trying to say that's the solution for everything. And I'm not saying it's the solution for everything. I'm not saying it's a solution for anything at all. But what it has given me is just a a moment in the day where I can just slow my brain down, and it's and it's really popped up in the rest of my life. Like I just find this stuff kind of creeping into the rest of my life now. So yeah, I'm really new to it, so I'm not like you know an expert or anything. But I just want to pass on what's been working for me lately. You know, I've talked enough about smoking weed and treating my anxiety, but you know that wasn't a cure all either. So there's no cure alls. So just, anyway, passing on a new tool that I learned. And that's it. See you next week. Don't forget to check out Oil and Flowers. With Buddha Blaze. And me. Bye.